is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. What a day, glorious day that will be. That's a good song, isn't it? <clears throat> Great job on that too. Good blend. Boy, I like that. We were over at the building the other day and starting to put in some of the sound equipment and get that ready to go. And, uh, you know, that costs money too, by the way. A lot of money, and uh, we didn't spend nearly what we could have spent. We still could spend a lot more, but we think we've got a pretty good uh, handle on it for the minimal amount we spent. You go to different churches. I know a church that spent well over a hundred thousand on theirs, and the church isn't much bigger than ours. And uh, it's not unusual to spend a lot of money on sound. And uh, so far, we've only got probably seventy-five hundred in ours, and so we're really uh, excited about that. And we'll see how it turns out. Now, if you come in there and it sounds crummy, it's because we're about, you know, 93,000 short. <laughs> but uh, I think you'll find that it's pretty decent for what we got invested in it, and we're pretty excited about it. And Josh and I was singing a duet the other day over there, just, and uh, the music was playing in the background. Boy, I tell you what, I was like, hey, this ain't half bad for just throwing up a real quick system like it. It's pretty good. And so, uh, I don't know, the speakers alone are 
ridiculous. I mean, just expensive. But uh, we got a nice system, and uh, I think it's going to be really service well. And uh, I'm a really, I'm a, a real, I'm, I'm crazy about sound. Uh, so, you know, I'm really wanting it to be great, and uh, I think we're really on track to being a really good, really good system. So keep praying about all those different things. There's so many things going on over there. We're putting up trim over there. We're uh, uh, finishing up the trim package over there. We're trying to get uh, uh, glass in certain windows and things. Uh, so be praying about that, that the glass doesn't break. Nobody gets hurt in the process. And not much glass, but a little bit over there. And, of course, uh, we're still waiting on that um, <clears throat> that one uh, permit to be reissued. And we're waiting. Basically, it's not the county that's holding us up right now. It's just uh, one of the contractors has yet to really identify, settle the issue, and get it turned in. And we, we, it's supposedly done, ready to go. They just haven't gotten it to the right people yet. So hopefully that gets done here soon, and we can call this inspection in, and then we'll go from there and see how we, how we fare. And uh, hopefully they pass us with flying colors and we move right along. But we'll see. You know, we've not had any inspections fail yet. So we're praying this isn't the first, okay? All right. Well, listen, uh, that things are going great, so keep praying. And we're excited. And like I said, we're not over there this week. We're kind of hoping we can get over there next Sunday. But it depends on this whole issue with this final inspection. It really does. And uh, so anyway. Um, Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14 tonight. Numbers chapter 14. <clears throat> Just a short little thought today and um, something to, to, to think about. If you'll notice, there's only uh, two pages of notes. So you know what? I mean, I don't know what that means exactly, but it's certainly not as long as some messages. <clears throat> but then again, there are a lot of major points here that I could... Wax eloquent on. No, I'm teasing, but Numbers, I don't know if I could ever wax eloquent. But nonetheless, Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through the first 10 verses. Next week, we're going to begin a series in Proverbs, okay? And so we'll have that. You probably saw the slide flashing and stuff like our pre-service slides. And so that was on there as well. And so um, just uh, plan on that. It's in uh, Proverbs chapter 25. We'll be taking the messages out of there. And so we'll look forward to seeing what we can learn. Uh, Numbers chapter 14, beginning verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. The whole congregation said unto them, <clears throat> Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? They said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the, the Lord is with us. Fear them not. 
But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Israel, of course, at this point, has been delivered out of the land of Egypt. They've been delivered out of the hand of Pharaoh. And again, a great world power at the time. And yet, when it all came down to it, God's power was greater. They had received the law, and now they stood on the brink of a new life. Behind them loomed the awful memories of bondage. Behind them loomed the thought and the reality of cruelty that they had experienced. And now, before their very eyes, lay a land flowing with milk and honey. Still, the whispers of unbelief seemed to swell amongst the congregation. The hearts of the people were smitten with unbelief and fear. The spies had returned with, I mean, a glowing report, a good report, a wonderful report of the land that God had intended them to occupy. But their fears had gotten the best of them. And although the land was more beautiful than even they could have imagined, these spies, their hearts were faint because of the inhabitants of the land. You recall that they said, we're simply grasshoppers in their sight. They're giants. I mean, they have metal and steel and all kind of different things, and we simply have nothing. They've got chariots and warriors, and we're just simply Israelites, slaves. But the promise of God was very clear, wasn't it? Look, if you would, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22 through 24. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. Can I I make a suggestion while I'm here? Don't put pictures of the carousel out in the public. You say, why not? I'm proud of it. We want them to come see it. Don't, don't, Don't show it to them without them coming and seeing it. I noticed there was a bunch of pictures posted. At least somebody told me that. Um, <clears throat> don't post pictures. We want them to come see it. Yes, sir. And now, again, I'm not, I'm not scolding anyone. I'm just saying right now, as we finish it up, it's a beautiful facility. But we don't want to discourage anyone from going, well, I saw, I, I saw pictures. No, we want them to come and then get, you know, preached at. <clears throat> and then... If they don't ever come back, that's on them. We'll have their contact. We can reach out to them and try to help them. But at least they'll have had to come. And uh, I think seeing the carousel will be a tremendous draw for us. So I would hesitate before I shot pictures of the auditorium and shot pictures of everything out there. I would just say, you know what? You want to see it? You come see it. Now, I wouldn't say that because somebody's going to go, Pastor Sam, if you want to see it, come see it. Don't do that. Don't do that. <clears throat> Please don't do that. Now that preacher, I always knew he was a jerk. Yeah, that's exactly how people will think. That's how they are, okay? So don't put it out there, but don't blame me either, okay? All right, thank you. That was just a very quick commercial. All right, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22 through 24. Again, the promise of God had been clear. 
Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manner of the nation which I cast out before you. For they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Now I think it's pretty clear here that the Lord had said, that land is your land. No doubt about it. You simply obey me. It's yours for the taking. But in the shadows and deepest recesses of the heart lurks Satan. Satan sowing seeds of doubt and unbelief in the hearts of the believer or in the hearts of the people of God. And although he had promised them the land, the people of God would not go up, the Bible tells us. And so as Joshua and Caleb end their plea in verse 9, I want you to note how they begin that verse. Verse 9, notice it says, they're speaking now to the congregation, Caleb and Joshua, and they say, only rebel not ye against the Lord. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. And so this evening, for just a few minutes, I want to address this plague of rebellion. This idea of rebellion. And I want to note three aspects. One, the problem with rebellion. Two, the particulars of rebellion. And three, the prescription for rebellion. So let's go ahead and look at these tonight as we take just a few minutes this evening. Father, bless us in these next few moments. Be glorified in what is said and spoken. And Father, we just ask, dear God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Lord, be real to us. And Father, help us not to just simply come and sit and then leave the same. But Lord, may we truly open our hearts to you and allow you to implant your truths in us. And Father, allow them to grow in our hearts and lives through this week and into the future. We love you. We need you. And Father, we'll thank you for what is accomplished in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, we note the problem with rebellion. Again, these people, the Bible says, he says to them, only rebel not ye against the Lord. What did they do? They rebelled. They rebelled against God. So what's the problem with rebellion? As we note this people, as we consider them, then I think we learn something about rebellion itself and the problem with rebellion. First of all, notice that because they chose the route of rebellion, there were a number of consequences, a number of consequences that they faced. One, they were discouraged. Look at verse 1. They were discouraged. Now all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. I mean, the congregation wept that night. They cried. They were so broken. They, they were discouraged. I mean, they had come into the land. They had expected, I mean, facing the land. They thought, man, God had delivered us out of Egypt. God had delivered us out of the hand of that, that tyrant, that, that, that uh, uh, horrible leader. And now, here we are now, facing a new land, facing new hope. And then the spies come back and say, wow, it's a wonderful land. They go, yes. Man, I mean to tell you it's flowing with milk and honey. Yeah. I mean to tell you that it's just plush and wonderful and the, the buildings and the houses and everything are, are just a, a wonderful. I mean, it's like, man, I mean to tell you it's, it's just beautiful. Praise the Lord. They're fired up. They're excited. And then they go, but. 
You've never heard that, have you? But whew, there's giants in the land. <laughs> and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And the truth is, is that they're men in war and we're not. And then we're going to get crushed. And the people are discouraged. I'll tell you what, you choose the route of rebellion in your life, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get discouraged. People say, I don't know why I'm always so discouraged. Maybe because you're rebellious. Could that be a problem? Oh, no, not me, preacher. Good. Then let's find the reason why you're discouraged then. But I'm going to tell you something. Many times there are reasons for why we feel the way we do. And I'm telling you, rebellion is a big reason why I believe many believers today are discouraged. Notice number two. Not only was discouragement a consequence, but notice they were disgruntled. Verse 2, right at the beginning. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And murmured. Complained. They were disgruntled. They weren't happy. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. Disgruntled. Now, you may not express yourself quite that enthusiastically, but you don't have to be that enthusiastic to be disgruntled. It is so unbelievable to me how people are behind the pastor and behind the program and behind the ministry. Gangbusters, baby. All of a sudden, we notice there's areas in their life starting to drift and change called re <coughs> re <coughs> rebellion. And pretty soon, they're discouraged. And pretty soon, guess what they're doing? Complaining. Now, before they were all, boy, I'll tell you what, this is the best church. Boy, I'll tell you what, we got the greatest pastor. Let me tell you something right now. Our Sunday school is top notch. Let me tell you about our teachers. They're the best. Let me tell you about our bus ministry. It's awesome. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't like how this is that bothers me. I mean, the pastor doesn't listen to anybody. He just does whatever he wants. And nobody else's opinion even matters. And what, what's wrong here? How, what, what happened? How come we're so disgruntled? How's come we're so discouraged? Maybe, just maybe there's this problem called. Re <clears throat> I, I don't even like to say it because it's probably so true it bothers me to say it. Re rebellion. Yeah, that, that could be one of the problems right there. Oh, wait a second. Wait, wait a second. Kind of goes along with it. Number three, not only were they discouraged and disgruntled, but because of their choice of rebellion in their life, because they chose not to obey God to the nth degree, they were discouraged, disgruntled, and dissatisfied. They just dissatisfied. I mean, nothing made them happy. Nothing made them content. Nothing worked out. Everything was just a big mess. Oh, don't, let's, not, let's not pretend we've never felt that way about things in our life. You may have felt that way about your wife. You may have felt that way about your husband. You may have felt that way about your kids. You may have felt that way about your work or a lot of things. But when a believer is in rebellion, one of the things I'll tell you right now is this. He will or she will be 
dissatisfied. Number four. Look at verse 3 and 4. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? We'll go back. They'd have killed you. You kidding me? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. You know what they were? Defeated. That's a give up. Forget it. It's stupid. Why even try anymore? Isn't that what we see happening? I mean, they weren't that far out of Egypt, mind you. They hadn't really gone that long without being slaves. And yet, they're already ready to throw the towel in. They're already ready to give up. They're already ready to say, forget it. This is useless. It means it's, it's stupid. We're in worse shape than we were when we left. We were doing better when we had to make bricks without straw. Isn't that ridiculous? But that's how you get when you're in rebellion. You get defeated. You feel like quitting. You just want to throw, your, throw the towel in. And how many people that have been exercised or have chosen rebellion have ultimately thrown in the towel on God? Just like they did. Gave up on God. Gave up on His vision. Gave up on His plan. Gave up on His word. Gave up on His promises. Why? All because of rebellion. Because the rebellion, when... Chosen, when we choose rebellion as a course or a route in our life, then the consequences will always be discouragement, just being disgruntled, dissatisfied, defeated. And finally, wait a second, it doesn't end there, by the way. Like that isn't bad enough. Like that isn't enough of a consequence. Then we are disciplined. Look at verse 23. We've already made ourselves miserable. We've already made everyone else around us miserable because of our rebellion. But now we're going to be disciplined by God. Verse 23. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Wow. I mean, wrap your mind around that. Well, what a consequence. I mean, you had, they had left Egypt with this idea of grandeur. We're going to leave Egypt. We're going to be free men, free women. We're going to have our own homes and our own places, rule ourselves. And man, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful journey. We're going to end up in our own, uh, in Canaan land, and there we're going to just bask in the pleasure and wonder of it all. And now they're being told, guess what? You're not going to see it at all. No payday for you. Wow, that's sad, isn't it? You know what our rebellion will do to us in discipline? It'll cost us our families. It'll cost us our respect. It'll cost us our lives. It'll cost us our ministries. It'll cost us so many things. We must learn and understand that rebellion doesn't simply end with me and those around me getting hurt. It ultimately costs me not just now, but down the road. Discipline. Hebrews chapter 12. And again, at least this is one bright spot. Someone says bright spot? 
Hebrews 12, yes, a bright spot. And this is important for you and I as believers today. In all of our attempts to extend grace, to restore fallen, those are all admirable things, things that we are requested, required to do according to Galatians chapter 6. I understand this. But if we are not careful, we fail to emphasize to our young people the reality of consequences. And all we emphasize is the second chance. Let me tell you something. There is a second chance, but there is still scars. Chapter 12, verse Hebrews. Notice what it says here in verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? You say, bright spot? Absolutely. I'll tell you what, it's always good to be his son. It's always good to be his daughter. I don't care how many times he had to whoop me, I would be, still be glad I'm in his family. Let me tell you something. If you are in the family, however, and this is the real point of it, he wants you to know he can't let it, your rebellion go unpunished. That's his point. We don't talk much about consequences today. You know, there's not really much spoken about it, said about it, but it is a biblical reality. The problem with rebellion, when we choose the route of rebellion, consequences are discouraged disgruntled, dissatisfied, defeated, disciplined. We see all of those things. And we see it in the lives of the Israelites. Number two, the particulars of rebellion. The particulars. Now, I want you to understand that their rebellion was rooted in something far more dreadful than most can imagine. You say, well, rebellion's bad enough. Yeah, but that's not the biggest problem here. It's certainly not the big problem. See, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel wouldn't go up because of this factor. Look, if you will, in Hebrews 3, verse 17. Well, they were just a rebellious people. Well, they were rebellious. They did rebel against God. But, But what was their problem? Why did they rebel against Him? Here in this passage, it tells us what the real problem was with these particular people and this particular rebellion. Notice Hebrews 3, verse 17 through 19. But with whom he was grieved for, for, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into the, his rest? But to them, wait a second, don't miss this. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. See, the, the, the problem was that they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. Okay, their rebellion was a result of their unbelief then. It had played a factor. God couldn't permit them in the land because they did not believe His promise. They rebelled against God and His Word. You know, what causes us to be rebelling against God is unbelief. And we talked about this on Sunday. It may even go a little bit deeper than that. The bottom line is, is that we don't believe Him because we don't know Him like we ought to know Him. Hebrews 11, 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, it wasn't the land, the inhabitants, or the leadership that kept them from entering the promised land. It was unbelief. Well, if only Moses was a, a better leader, if only he conveyed the vision better, it had nothing to do with Moses here. It had nothing to do with the inhabitants of the land. But they're giants in the land. Look how big they are. Look how strong they are. Look how prepared for war they are. It had nothing to do with that. Their problem, unbelief, unbelief. Unbelief keeps us from the blessings of God. See, it isn't a poor husband or wife, a sorry pastor or people. It isn't a bad job or a lack of income. It isn't a dysfunctional home or bad parents. It's unbelief. You say, well, yeah, but you got under... I know, I understand all that stuff. I, I understand all the psychobabble bull. But let me tell you something. Last time I checked, we are new creatures in Christ. And I'm a little bit fed up with people wanting to blame their past on why they act like crazy people today. When do we finally take responsibility for who we are today and live our lives for Christ like He calls us to? Listen to me. I don't care if you grew up in a drunkard's home. It doesn't give you the right to be a drunkard. And if you were a drunkard before you got saved, you have no right to be one today because you're not that same person. Stop acting like it. I'm just saying that we want to blame everyone and everything for our deficiencies. Now, again, I, I realize that there are issues that must be addressed from our past. I realize all of that. I know if you are abused, you're going to have to address things. And if you think you're over it and it's still affecting your relationships, you are not over it. You better start facing the reality that you have to face reality. We are not honest with ourselves. And as a result of that, we forever excuse our actions in our minds. We even rebel against God's word. And we say, well, you know, it's, I know it's probably not right, but you just excused it. And listen, I, I have great compassion for hurting people. I believe Jesus, of all people, was more compassionate than any. But let me tell you something. When that woman at the well left him, he said, or when that woman taken in adultery left him, he said to her, go and sin no more. He didn't say, well, I understand you've had a riddled past with immorality. I know it's going to be tough to overcome it. I'm just going to I'll tell you what, do your best. He didn't tell her to do her best. He said, go and sin no more. Why could he say that? Because he's Jesus. And he's able to give her power over all, the flesh, to, to overcome this flesh. And that's true in your life too. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? We, we fail to tithe. Not because we have a lousy job or don't have the money or can't afford to, because of unbelief. We just don't believe God will provide it. I mean, we, we marry the unsaved. Now, oh, wait a second. Not because there's no one else to marry. Not because we're getting older and need to hurry up. But because of unbelief. 
Well, we don't believe that God can provide the right kind of mate, at least not in our time frame. I mean, we won't witness. Why? Not because we're handicapped and can't, not because we have no tongue, not because we just are unable to, because we're just not, you know, charismatic. No, because of unbelief. We doubt God will deliver us and bless us. Rebellion is rooted in unbelief, and the Israelites were rebellious. The root, unbelief. We've got to be honest with ourselves. Why do I fail to obey God? First of all, I don't believe Him the way I ought to believe Him. Because He tells me the way of the transgressor is hard. Now, why wouldn't I believe that since He says it? Maybe it's because I don't know Him well enough, like we said Sunday. Finally, the prescription for rebellion. How do you overcome this? What do you do? Now, remember... Don't be fooled into treating symptoms, but treat the root problem. The root problem is unbelief. So deal with your unbelief. Confess unbelief as sin, first of all. We already read it, but without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So unbelief is sin then. Without faith it's impossible to please Him. Unbelief is sin then. You can't please God. And so therefore, then, we, we, what do we got to do with sin? We got to confess sin then. We confess our unbelief. When I find myself not obeying God because I'm scared to take that step of faith, that step of obedience, and it's rooted in my lack of belief, then I need to confess the fact that I did not take the step as sin itself. Right. That is sin. We're always dealing with symptoms. Well, Lord, you know, if I could just learn more about this, and Lord, if I just knew more about that, and Lord, if you'd just give me some wisdom, and Lord, if you just, then I would take that. Lord, if you'd make it more clear. Lord, if you'd just make it more clear than what? The, the Word of God? I'm just saying that we have to start confessing that unbelief as sin. We're so quick to, you know, well, Lord, you know, forgive me for my sins. Well, that's good, but what sins? First of all, what sins? We need to be specific. But many times our sins are a result of what? Unbelief. So we probably need to confess our unbelief as sin more than we even confess what we're doing. Because it's rooted in unbelief. So confess belief, unbelief as sin. Number two, construct a life of faith then. Construct a life of faith. If, if you want faith, then you're going to have to, you're going to, have to take steps to increase faith. You're going to have to take steps to... Um, you know, place yourself within the context of faith. So, for instance, the Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, we know then that faith is rooted in the Word of God, that we want to grow in faith, then faith cometh by hearing the Word of God. I understand that you hear it from the pulpit. That's good. I understand you can listen to preaching tapes. That's wonderful. I realize, too, though, that when I read my Bible, okay, I hear a voice in my head. It, I hear my, a voice in my head. I mean, I know I'm seeing it with my eyes, but I'm, there's a voice up there. I know that sounds scary, but there is. And there's one in your mind and head too when you're reading the Word of God. See, hearing, you know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So what do we need to do? We need some discipline in our life. 
We need to surround ourselves with some, you know, the Bible reading and the study and the memorization and all the things that emphasize and ultimately elevate the Word of God in our life. It is not complicated. What do I need? Preacher, my faith is weak. What do I need to do about it? Get in the Word of God. Start, you know, get a good devotional. Get into that. Read it. Be encouraged by it. See it in the Word and have it reinforced through things like that. Be in God's house. Listen to the truth. Discipline yourself to be there every time the doors are open. Make sure that you're in a place where you're, you're feeding yourself on Scripture and you're memorizing the Word of God. Get disciplined and have a memorization schedule. You're going to need some determination to do that because you're not always going to feel like doing it. And in the end, you just downright need to be devoted. <laughs> and do it for the Lord's sake because you want to be the best person and best Christian you can be on His behalf. Construct a life of faith. And that life of faith is centered around this book, the Word of God, and everything else is centered around it. That means you might have to remove some things that aren't centered around it. Finally, last but not least, the prescription is, one, confess unbelief as sin. Two, construct a life of faith. Commit thy works unto the Lord then. One of the greatest lies the devil will tell you is that you can't serve the Lord or do anything on behalf of God till you get your motive straight. Till you get your heart right, you have no right to do this or no right to do that. Now, hold on. We're not talking about living in open sin. But listen, I know for a fact that someone can say, well, you know what, I just don't know. If I taught a class, I might be teaching it for the wrong reasons. Why don't you let God worry about that? If you're worried about it, that's a good sign already. That's a pretty good sign. If you genuinely feel like, you know, I don't, I don't want to put myself in a position to take the glory, well, then guess what? That's time for you to start thinking about moving forward and saying, now, Lord, listen, I know, I know you're putting it on my heart to teach that class. I know that I, I should step up, but, Lord, I, I don't want to do anything in my own flesh, and I don't want to do anything for my own glory. And the Lord says, you ought to just do it. And you say, I know, Lord, but I just don't know if I want to step out. I mean, you help me with that. You, you help, my, help me to think right. Help me to feel right. Help me. No, just, just obey him. And say, Lord, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and obey you and teach the class, and I'll let you worry about my motivation. Because see, what's the Bible say? Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Well, I, I don't know. I just don't feel, I just, I'm not motivated to go soul winning. Go anyway. Go anyway. Just, just go. You say, why? Well, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. See, we're always trying to get, we, 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 sometimes we're not careful. We get so crazy about this. Well, you know, you're, you have to have your, you know, you have to be thinking, right? You have to have a desire to do it. You've got to be, you know, have this motivation first and then you go. No. Wait, what do you say? Mine eye affecteth my what? Heart. You know what that is? That's, you get out, you, you physically take a walk and it affects how you see things. You're affected by your action. You, you, you had to literally get out there and now you see something, it affects your emotions. Let me tell you something, believer. You need to get in the Bible whether you feel like reading it or not. You, you need to go soul winning whether you feel like going soul winning or not. You need to be in church whether you feel like going or not. Well, I feel like a hypocrite when I'm there and I don't really want to be there. Be there anyway. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. You've got to put yourself in a place where God can put what He wants in you. 
So rebellion. Oh, yeah, you could just say, you know what? No church for me until God does something in my heart. You know what? No reading the Bible till I realize I'm doing it with the right motivation. I'm not some big hypocrite. You know, I know what my thought on my thought life's like. My thought life is life. I'm not going to read the Word of God till God does something with that right there. Well, guess what? He's waiting for you because He's already given you Jesus inside you. And now He's already done His part. It's up to you. Do yours now. So commit thy works unto the Lord, and, and thy thoughts shall be established. So don't wait until your motives are all sorted out before you serve. Serve God, and He'll sort them out. So that's what we see. So the prescription for rebellion, the problem with rebellion, we already noted it. Always consequences. The particulars, always rooted in unbelief. And the prescription you're going to have to make this a priority in your life, the Word of God. It's got to be priority because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for this time together and for these last few moments you've given us. Now,